0: Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Future Hacker. I'm your host, Maria Taigi and today we are talking to Arik Dromi. Arik is the founder and CEO of Tempo's Motu Group, Breakthrough Advisory Board as a Service Platform. He's also a keynote speaker, futurologist, geopolitical, environmental, and social strategist. Arik spent years helping executives and decision makers to refine their offer and understand the potential impacts that lie along the road ahead. His strength lies in his ability to identify patterns and challenge them, along with his ability to use this skill to define new directions and experiments that provide a path forward. Adik, but I do remember that I read in your LinkedIn that you're a professional trail maker. Did you stop that? Are you still one?
1: No, I'm, I'm still one. I think uh, my, my greatest quality is uh, making feel, people feel uncomfortable. So I think we can take everything you just said and says making people feel uncomfortable.
0: You know, when I read Professional Troublemaker, I am like, I have to talk to this guy, you know, I have to talk to them. But you know, <laughs> let's begin by the beginning. Is there anything about your story, about yourself, I don't know, maybe the way you were raised, your family, that led you to where you are today?
1: I think my story is no different than any other uh, person on the planet it's like you know our life is the <laughs> accumulate decision making that we 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 took you know and, until any 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 specific moment but i mean i'm, I'm I, I often talk about uh, being dyslectic and dysgraphic and you know being born in the 70s it's um, not something that you know, we rushed to test, like, the sensitive millennials today that uh, everything is... Uh, yes. <laughs> and, and uh, I mean, they threw you to the, to the deep water and, and, you know, screw you, you have to, you have to fix it yourself. Um, as such, I was considered just lazy uh, at school. I mean, no, one, no one connected the fact that I struggled to read and write with dyslexia and dysgraphica at that time. Uh, I I found myself at a very young age sitting at home and and memorizing the shape of words. You know, the the first two books that I actually uh, remember using in order to memorize the shape of words were Clockwork Orange and Jules Verne, um, you know, 20 League. And I I will not recommend Clockwork Orange to any eight years old, but... (laughs) Um, which can explain a lot of the other behaviors that I adapted uh, um, throughout my life. Um, but these two books open a, a, a gateway, a wormhole into a certain type of interests that you know build the build myself, you know, the way I am today. And being fascinated by the future, being fascinated by how do we use technology or how technology is using us? What can we do? What can we not do? How how do we stretch the limit of our own potential and imagination in a sense? I mean, I contribute to that, to the fact that I am dyslexic and dysgraphic. And um, I, I found the path that, you know, uh, became my passion somehow. So,
0: yeah, yeah. You know, I'm glad you were able to find your own path. It's just like you said, you know, before you kind of had to do with your own tools. Um, Right. And one thing that you told me that I really liked and, and, and struck me is how this should be treated as a superpower and not a disability. But things, if you're just out of the ordinary, it's just... Uh, it's, it gets out of the script. People don't
1: know how to act, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not the first person that will, you know, will, will, <laughs> will say that, but we do live in a society that tries to fit everyone into a box. Um, it, it's not something that um, I could cope up with. I mean, as, as a very, very stubborn kid, when everyone left, you know, went left, I went right. When everyone went right, I went left. Just because everyone went to the other direction, I, you know, in the beginning, I, I also ignored the fact that maybe that direction is the right direction. But no, if everyone goes there, it has to be the wrong direction. So let's go in a different direction. Um, it's 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 a very unfortunate situation. Even today, I mean, education because of my um, negative experience with the education system, I. You know, education is something that is very dear to my heart, and even today, I see the way we're educating kids, the way we're educating employees. You know, we are still trying to put them into boxes, and 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 we we have like a very very light uh, finger on the trigger when, in order to fit a kid into a box, we give the Ritalin, you know, psychiatric medicines because it's easier to fold the kid and put it in the yes. box rather than set them free. And I think this is a very very sad uh, state of things right now, where we haven't learned uh, the power of individuality. We haven't learned the power of I mean, having a diverse society. Like we claim that we strive to have, it's not putting everyone in the same box. I mean, it's, it's letting people create their own box and live outside of the box if they chose to do so. I mean, I don't see the education system being able to cope with this type of um, ideas yet.
0: And I definitely want to to go further into the education later today, because you you can't really talk about, you know, the future at all without talking about that. Uh, It's the the very, very foundation, right? Uh, But I, I wanted to begin in a different place. And also something else that struck me. About nine, like almost a decade ago, you were talking about humans developing an emotional relationship with technology, So way, I guess, way ahead of your time. How we used to focus on measuring IQ. Then we started talking about EQ, our emotional intelligence. And then you talked about ETQ, which is getting technology into this equation. And you're talking how men and machines are going to become even closer. And humans are going to be able to feel technology. And the environment could detect how we feel and build itself according to it. Is that what we today consider metaverse or maybe its evolution? And again, it's been almost a decade. So have you, did you have any major changing thoughts about our future and our relationship with machines and technologies?
1: I mean, unfortunately, um, the gap is even wider today of where, 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 where we, we, we should be when, when it comes to us interacting with technology. I mean, we live in a in a reality where uh, TikTok is more addicted than uh, cocaine and heroin. I mean, that's very far of us using technology in a meaningful, constructive, productive way. And I'm not using efficiency here because efficiency it's something that uh, should be a byproduct, not just not the main the main focus. I mean, most of the interaction models that exist around us are there to steal. Our attention—they are definitely there to invoke certain type of emotions, but these emotions are designed to make us buy more, browse more, spend more time online. And there is no—we we are. You no, know, it, it. One hand, we we think that we are observing the screen, but technology is observing us much more than we are observing it. So. You know it's it's not new news to anyone that we are the data at the end of the day and, and if we are the data, we are we are the product. And you know places like Metaverse just emphasize the danger of letting technology roam in, roam free without having you know any adult supervision in a sense to be able to understand what are the implications on on us on humans when we are moving forward. I mean, Every single technology around us is designed around dopamine. And dopamine, like, you know, very short-lived sensations, you know, sensations exactly like cocaine and heroin, but serotonin, which is a 350 million years substance. I mean, I don't see interactions between humans and technology that are there to boost serotonin. This is where I think you know, Etq can really excel. We we pass the point of no return, right? We cannot live without technology anymore. I mean, since the, since the and, and another thing that I I often say to people when I talk about technology, people talking about like screens and, and iPhones and Androids, but the axe was the first technology tool we actually created. So technology is not digital. We should not confuse these things. Technology is a tool that enable you know, our evolution to the place we are at today. As it became more and more digital, more and more we started to outsource cognitive and emotional functions to technology around us, the less humans we are becoming. And this, you know, lack of synergy between us and technology is extremely dangerous, dangerous place to be. You know, I, I gave a TED talk many, many years ago, talking about love your iPhone and your iPhone will love you back. Uh, one of the predictions that I really, really screwed because it, it didn't happen. And it's not due to lack of technology, it's due to human nature where the people that responsible for technology, they make money out of us, you know, selling our uh, souls to, to, the, to, to every piece of technology around us. And I would like to see a reality where, uh, ETQ is being taking more seriously, where you know technology is in helping us to become better humans, not just to replace um, certain factions or to replace certain professions, but really help us excel and understand the next stage of human evolution. That's I don't see that happen yet.
0: So you are more on the a more Dystopian side of the future, right now, right? I mean, look at the look at the I, look, at, look, at, look at the
1: world. Tell me how I cannot be dystopian. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And, and, and you know, I've actually been talking to people that that are more optimistic about the metaverse. I, I I I I I'm not in that vibe as well. For me, it's a little hard to 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 see it happening when we see what we have today and how we are heading. But still, there are many people that believe that the metaverse will be able to be the safer environment in which people value more the values instead of of the the commercial side. But if you see who is actually building it and who is behind that, and if you're still having the big conglomerates investing on that, it it just seems like the field to garner more and get more from us than, than the opposite, right?
1: The problem with metaverse, I mean, it's it's people look at the metaverse and saying, "Oh, the resolution is very low. Um, oh, it's 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 not sophisticated." I, I, you know, we can talk a lot about the technology behind the metaverse and uh, you know the amount of computation power you need to have in order to ha- to host the entire human race in a virtual reality in a high definition, uh, satisfying resolution. I mean, we don't have this computational power today, so it's it's an incremental uh, build-up of technology to get there, I and mean, that's I, that's it will happen one day. We will we will uh, cross a certain threshold where we will have a non-invasive way. Even Elon Musk promised in six months he will connect brains to the internet, I mean, we will have a non-invasive way to uh, to have a full uh, immersive experience within. Um, you know, a digital landscape. The questions that we don't ask ourselves are, you know, there are more sexual harassments that happening percentage-wise inside the metaverse and outside of the metaverse. Who is accountable for that? Who is accountable and responsible for, you know, economic models that doesn't cost anything to copy and paste this ball? <laughs> and I mean, I, I know how much, I know what's the value of this ball when i'm holding it as a physical object i know the value of this bottle of water but what's the value of objects inside of spaces that it doesn't cost you anything except copy and paste to manufacture it what does the value of things where the laws of physics doesn't really need to apply inside of digital spaces and and this is this is a mind-blowing concept where you are having a full immersive experience in a digital landscape. the laws of physics that anchored you to your ass to the chair, like the law of gravity outside, do not need to apply in in these spaces. Our ability to transform our perceptions and our brain will fundamentally throw us. And I don't see philosophical discussions around these things. I don't see discussions about accountability on impact. We are trying to take... The model of the world as we see it today and just to copy and paste it into code, it just doesn't make any sense. Cause uh, that's the problem I have with, with, with places like the metaverse. I mean, with all due respect to Zuckerberg and, 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 and his company, who is accountable for the positive and the negative impact of more and more humans spending time in the metaverse? Who is accountable for you know, it's 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 becoming more addicted than TikTok, and people need to stay outside. You know, you need to have to employ robots to actually uh, give you an IV to feed you because you are stuck for days on days on top of inside the metaverse. These discussions doesn't happen, and if we don't start to tell the the impacts that uh, or to identify the impacts that we we are going to face, I mean, God help us. <laughs>
0: And then we're back to education, right? Uh, one of the things I you said, technologies come and go. We should focus on the evolution of human change, on educational yes. and intellectual infrastructure. So that's the way to go, right? I
1: mean, absolutely. You, mean, you know, I would like to bring human change in the context of the United Nations sustainability development goals because, I mean, this is also something we mentioned before. We put all of these wonderful 17 goals for, you know, in order to secure a resilient, sustainable society. But we forgot, you know, goal number 18, which is human change, because nothing can happen with, with, without human change. And, you know, the, the only constant thing for history was that human change. <laughs> uh, and we don't talk about that. We don't, we don't understand that, you know, a, a smartphone is not smart unless it's bring value to the humans that are using it. And it's not smart because it doesn't bring any value to the human that are using it. I mean the smartphone is a direct descendant of the you know the Gutenberg press in the end of the day. I mean we, we, we need to focus on curiosity, we need to focus on creativity, we need to focus on rethinking the narrative of education. How how can we teach people the profession of the future using the tools we have been using for the past, you know, two hundred years? It doesn't make any sense.
0: So and again we we're we're coming back to that and definitely Mm -hmm. something that we have to discuss more and every time i talk to to know guests regarding you know i don't know even technologies right blockchain Mm -hmm. and crypto and things like that like it, it it doesn't mean anything if you're not getting to the foundations and but as humans how are we dealing with that Like, and are we prepared and how are we prepared? If we are not prepared, how can we be prepared and which ways to go? But one of the questions that I keep asking, and I'd love to get your thought about that, is who is going to be taking charge and who is going to be prepared to change the educational system—is it something that is coming from the governments? Is it coming that is that—is it something that is coming from the private companies, from the companies that actually needs to be qualifying people to to be able to deal with the new technologies? Is it coming from ourselves as parents or you know as grandparents? So how do you see this evolving? I
1: think that I always look into um, things from from three different perspectives from a policy, technology and a uh, society point of views. Um, and education is no different. Education needs to be tackled from uh, policy, technology and a society, society point of view. Now, uh, we, we, we think traditionally we say that education is in the hand of the government, but that's not really true because the government really do not have the resources to understand what's what's happening within the technology realm what's happening within you know the societal realms they, they are very 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 far away but still policy is one of the most important tools we have to actually challenge the status quo we are using policy to uh, keep the status quo rather than challenging it and that's that's the big mistakes that that happening that happens right now especially within within education I think that I, I would like to see more technology leaders and business leaders stepping into the realm of or the domain of, of education, creating better partnerships with government all the way from kindergarten to universities and then following up to the workplace in order to really rethink the narratives of what do we need to learn, how we learn. I mean, we are very good on thinking what do we need to learn? But I haven't seen a lot of universities or governments or uh, employer uh, employers think this is how we need to learn. And if we don't ask these fundamental questions, we are stuck in the same <laughs> in the same paradigm. I and mean, it's just a you know it's just a revolving door that no change actually happens. And and I mean we we. I see universities falling into these buzzwords and I have full respect to whomever do whatever, you know, you want to be he, she, it. be, I don't give a shit. But I see people coming and and I see universities giving degrees in something like, for example, gender studies. And I'm thinking, how is that going to help us establish a human colony on Mars? Because... To live on Mars, we need to rethink the narrative of agriculture. People say, oh, do you mean living on Mars? I mean, Well, the promises are there. We will eventually roam and, and live this planet and, and establish a colony both on the moon and on Mars. And you cannot grow potatoes like, you know, um, the Martians simply grow potatoes. You need a little bit more than that. We again, we are stuck in these buzzwords rather than understanding the holistic implications of things around us. And it's this this disconnect between, you know, right now the disconnect is between policy, technology and society that we need to find a way to bridge this gap. And we we employing people out of university into the workplace, sending them for like seminars from time to time and think, Oh, they, they have a degree. They finished to study. No education is something that you do from the minute you learn how to crawl or the minute you learn how to breastfeed uh, all the way until, you know, you, you are like six feet under. It never ends. And it needs to be thought as such, but this idea will fundamentally rattle the cages of universities that are taking so much money from people to teach them in a very, very you know you know narrow frame of time. No, it needs to be much broader, much more holistic. People should not be afraid to change profession, to mix. You know, I, it's very trivial to talk about Steve Jobs that he jumps between different courses that. I mean, made sense to him, but look at the company that he built in the end of the day because he picked up the stuff that were most interested to him. And this is where, you know, I would like to see a global think tank for the future of education that is looking at it from a philosophical point of view to start with rather than a financial point of view in order to understand what does it mean to be a human in the year 3000? What does it mean to be a human in the year 2070? What tools do we need to have then? Both, you know, physical tools, cognitive tools, emotional tools, how can we reverse engineer it to better create an educational trajectory that can accommodate, accommodate a future that is not dystopian and and, and start to work on these seeds now? Um, I don't see... I would love to see a group like this comes together and starts to tackle these things.
0: You know, and you gave me so many great examples when we first met of how we are, um, we keep building over what we have today and over what we can see today, over our current reality, instead of expanding our minds to what it could be. So you gave an example as automation. We keep building automation over our current infrastructure instead of what we have. And you mentioned to me how, how Amazon drone didn't, didn't fail, but you know this in- infrastructure in place wasn't the right one, right? So it's just this addictive way of, of behaving. Yeah,
1: we, we keep trying to develop new technologies to fit on a very outdated infrastructure. And eventually it's going to pick its you know, ability to accommodate this technology and everything is going to collapse. Um, We we talk about automation from from a technology point of view, but we don't really talk about automation from an impact point of view, from a human impact point of view. I mean, automation in the automotive industry, uh, you know, the the automatic gearbox was a type of automation (laughs) that, you know, was introduced in the automotive uh, industry. Um, A taxi driver is another type of automation of a person takes you from, uh, it it is, it is an automation. From a concept point of view, it is an automation. Um, I think that once we are going to, I I, I always thought, I always believed and claimed that humans and robots cannot accommodate the same uh, physical space. You need to create two different layers of physical environments in order to accommodate humans and robots because Let's be honest, the minute people will understand that cars are programmed to never hit pedestrians, they are never going to wait for the, the green light. They, you know, they're just going to cross the road because cars are programmed to stop. So what are we going to do? We are going to randomly program cars to hit uh, pedestrians once a year, once a month, just to teach a lesson. I mean, it, it doesn't really work. If, if you are stepping into factories and you see robots, they always have a net around them. So humans will never step into the robot area because you can never predict Uh, The human behavior, not the robot behavior, but the human behavior. Um, Our infrastructure is extremely outdated. Our road infrastructure is dated back all the way to the Roman um, horse and carriage. Basically, the distance distance of a chassis of a car uh, is equal to the distance between two horses' asses. That the Roman used the distance between two horses' asses to actually model the 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 wheels, the distance between the wheels of a carriage. Believe it or not, this is also the distance between the boosters on the space shuttle that we put. You know, we send people to the moon. Really? Meet. Yeah, yeah. But this is outdated. <laughs> I mean, yes. all the way back to the Roman Empire, a lot of respect. They build roads that I wish we can build roads like the Roman build roads or like the Turkish, the Ottoman Empire. But we need a new type of infrastructure to be placed, to be put in place, and it's not just the road infrastructure. It's our urban and rural infrastructure. It's our agricultural infrastructure. is our education infrastructure. As we spoke, all of these things are very, very old. They are rotten. It cannot continue. You know, we cannot continue and patch it and and try to accommodate technologies that you know the only thing the only thing that is actually stopping us of you know achieving so much more is our outdated infrastructure right now and that's i would like to see much more focus on that from from governments from cities from organizations from companies
0: and where to aim right so one of the things that struck me when we were talking is that you were like about clean energy as an example right and you told me how Solar energy and all, all those renewables that are not really renewables, wind uh, power, how they are not really a clean solution and how the whole process to manufacture, you know, the, 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 what's needed to generate the solar panels and, and, and the, 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 all, all those wind infrastructures, how they consume energy to produce, right? And this is something that I really never, you never really hear people talking about that.
1: I mean, go, go back to the um, like oil and coal are natural resources. I mean, we will one day become oil, like it or not. This is what happens when, you know, creatures die. <laughs> <laughs> um, throughout the years, humans have been very miserable of harvesting, storing, and converting energy into power. And... If we have been miserable of doing so with coal and uh, with coal and oil, wh- who says we are going to be better doing it with solar, wind, hydro, and other you know new new technologies that new new buzzwords we are going to to come into? We we do live in a buzzwords driven reality, and we are falling into this trap over and over again. I mean, People saying like, oh, solar, that is a clean energy. Okay, but what is the carbon footprint of manufacturing the solar panels? What is the carbon footprint of, you know, the life cycle of a solar panel? What is the carbon footprint of trying to get rid of a battery? I had a I had this argument with a bunch of uh, uh, smart people about the cobalt that is being used in batteries, and everyone is saying, but we are not using cobalt in batteries anymore. Okay, you're not using cobalt in batteries in automotive, but we're using cobalt in batteries everywhere else. And the more electrifications, the more batteries. I mean, material science, by default, is not a clean science. And I'm not against electrification. I think it's a natural evolution. It's a natural process of moving from... Combustion engine to electric engine, but don't tell me it's going to make the world a better place because every technology we are looking for the shortcuts in order to maximize our profits rather than to actually create a clean clean reality. And on top of everything, I mean, Europe really screw itself up when when like moving to green energy. I'm, I'm, I mean, you cannot command the wind to blow. I mean, in Sweden, solar panels doesn't make sense. It's dark. <laughs> Some parts of the summer, it's even dark. I mean, we we forgot that energy is about balance. Coil coal and oil are not dirty words. It's dirty the way we process them. And let's begin tell you what. It's also dirty the way we process solar and wind and hydro. It's also dirty. I mean, People in Sweden they charge more money for plastic bags than paper bags. I mean, you need much more energy to actually produce paper bags than plastic bags, and plastic bags is a much more resilient and and you know it lasts for a much longer time. I mean, the problem is not with the plastic, the problem is with the educations of how what do we do with the plastic when we don't need it anymore? And it's not the plastic. It's not the material itself. It's how we treat it. It's the perspective we have towards these things. And um, right now, it's very fashionable to talk about clean, green energy. But I mean, my own personally belief is, you know, nuclear, nu- nuclear, nuclear power generation four. We should put all of our efforts into that because I think that will be the the promise for the future.
0: That's where you're going to put your money in, if you could, like.
1: Yeah, that's why I would put my uh, head into if I could, Um, if I would have been a nuclear scientist, yes. I I think that uh, (laughs) the next generation of nuclear power um, holds more promise than all of other um, so-called green resources together.
0: So let's let us let us keep covering, you know, those new buzzwords and new technologies. I also hear so much regarding everybody loves talking about blockchain and how I'm building using blockchain and using block. But but still, blockchain is also super energy consuming. I did hear regard about some startups trying a, gl- a green blockchain solution. Uh, what's your thought about that? I remember you told me you don't need it. Like you don't really need it to do what you're doing
1: here. Ah, right? It's very a it's it's uh, controversial statement, but I couldn't yeah. find a single blockchain <laughs> I couldn't find a single blockchain system that you cannot use the traditional uh, software and code to actually bring to life many times even better. Uh, I, I think that blockchain from a philosophical point of view is a brilliant idea. Um, From an implementation point of view, it um, sucks. It's uh, very, very far away of of where it can be. And the idea of a a, a distributed ledger, number one, is not new. Um, But the distributed system, you don't really need blockchain in order to do that. I mean, Yes, now you combine two words, uh, green and blockchain, so let's get more investment. But did blockchain actually change the world? I mean, uh, did it solve world hunger? Did it help us to reimagine nutrition? Did it help us to tackle food deserts across you know so many places around the world? And it's it's not like something magical. It's 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 another technology that a lot of smart people behind it made a lot of money. But you know, it's it it will sure peak at a certain stage, and then a new technology will step in. Uh, and we keep focusing about the technology and we are losing the ideas behind blockchain of the philosophy behind blockchain that this is what's appealing over there. Um but we don't have this focus and you know this entire I mean many people hate me when, when I'm talking about against crypto, cryptocurrencies and NFCs and but I have to bring it in in the concept of of value. What's what's the value the value of an NFT? So of an NFT, uh, why do you buy digital assets for millions of dollars? I mean, it's a digital asset. Everyone can copy and paste it and do whatever they want with it. And and great, you have like a, a one Bitcoin or Dogecoin or whatever coin you have. To, to go and buy bread and butter, you still need to convert it to real dollars or real euros in the real world. I mean, it, it's, it's a very nice idea, but you base it on an outdated monetary system. That's, makes, that's it's, you know the value is not new value. It's an old, outdated value. It doesn't matter how beautiful you wrap it in the technological world.
0: It's still the concept of decentralization, which is great, but built over the old system that you're still stuck into and you're still stuck into the central banks and then governments and to the the roles of the the, the current world, right?
1: I think like the only path for cryptocurrencies forward right now, I see it with actually with the BRIC nations, if they will be smart enough to act and really create a decentralized uh, economic model that is not connected to the current economic or monetary systems that we have out there? Um, Can we build a parallel monetary systems, one that is based on the fundamental principle of a decentralized system? And instead of like trying to say, let's just use cryptocurrencies, let's look into the values of a monetary system from a distributed ledger point, distributed system perspective. And then choose the right technology to actually implement it, not do the opposite way. Um, but I do think that the brick, the bricks are very much positions to build uh, a different type of an economic system, S- one that is, you know, anchored in future promises rather than in uh, past uh, challenges.
0: Okay, so you know, I wanted to go back to you uh, about data, right? Uh, we mentioned in the beginning and you talked about your concern of how data is currently owned by the big corporations. I think I, it, it depends on which part of the world you are, right? I think China is owned by the government, maybe the US is owned by the big companies, maybe Europe, Europe is still fighting for people to to be able to have the at least the protection, if not the ownership of your own data. So how do you see... Uh, this this evolution. Do you think that we will ever be able to be the owners of ourselves, our own data, and somehow to collaborate with the stakeholders and have the all the platforms and companies? Uh, will we ever make the rules? In other words, no.
1: I I think um, I mean. It's not an issue of, of digital society or digital technology. Uh, it's more an issue of human nature. Privacy was always an illusion. Uh, I think that policy can is is the closest tool we have to actually make sure that I'm not being, you know, I'm not being abused, but you cannot stop the um, this you know the path that we are on we are the product this is again it's coming back to human nature we don't decide what next youtube video we are watching we have 1.3 seconds to decide if we want to watch the next video or to skip to the one after that but we don't decide what is the next video we don't decide the next Netflix TV series that uh, or film that we are watching. The algorithms decide these things for us. We we did outsource a lot of the decision-making powers to to algorithms around us. I don't think we can ever take that one back. Uh, but I I do see the need to use the tools of policy to minimize the damage and increase the value that I get of being part of such uh, systems. Um, my wife and I had this uh, discussion this um, we, we, we had a discussion this morning and says that um, we we said why don't we sell our uh, house right now, we buy um, a very nice caravan uh, and um, say fuck yeah,
0: yes, Be a citizen packet. of the world, right? Yes. just
1: I mean, we are um, soon soon, soon 50 and, and we says like, you know, our kids are, almost everyone is, is out of home. Why don't we do that? And I was thinking, you know, we took a walk after and we continue to talk about that. And like, are we still being connected? Being Are we still off the grid? I mean, can you really be off the grid? What does it mean to be off the grid? What does it mean to disconnect? Do you still need... Uh, a, a phone, do you still need a card to fill in gasoline? You cannot live in a cash, you know, only on a cash-driven... It doesn't work anymore. I mean, maybe in the 1950s, yes, but simply today it doesn't work. Can can I, I go and live somewhere in the Amazonas and, and uh, you know, join one of these tribes that uh, I've never seen technology? I mean, they, they will puke me out in a second because I don't belong there, but... It's very, very rare to find this pocket of complete disconnect. This is why it's so important for policy to have a much more important role of protecting me, not protecting the technology companies, and helping me to get some value of me being the product at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. But so, so, so you do believe that there's a way of, in the future, having us actually getting the value back. So it's not about owning, the, owning, but about at least getting the value back.
1: Here is an efficient, efficient way of uh, having a distributed system. Every time I go, I uh, open my um, uh, computer, every single thing that I do is encrypted. Everything, What? everything is encrypted. And a company like Google can say, hey, we would like to give you very, very relevant ads. Do you mind to open that part of your interactions? And uh, then I can unlock, I can, you know, unlock that part that I can sell it to Google, not for money, but in return for, and if, if you know, if the product that I bought makes sense, then, you know, I can get a, I can get a better discount. I mean, This is what policy needed to do the days, the original days of the internet. Everything needs to be encrypted by me. Everything belongs to me. But you cannot live in that encrypted world. You still need to open. But that negotiation, that dialogue between me and technology companies should be anchored by certain policies that create that system. So I would love to live in a world like that, that everything I do is actually encrypted and I can decide which, what information I give to Google, what information I can decide. I don't want any recommendations for anything. I don't give anything. That's fine. And then Google says, yes, but then it costs you $5 per month to browse the internet. And I say, okay, this is my decision. Okay. I will pay the $5 to
0: browse the internet. Sure.
1: I would like to see a world like this.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Well, we're talking about that, right? That's the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So, Eric. Um, so I have a, a last question for you. So, you know, when talking about preparing our leaders and we always come to this discussion, you know, of balancing the real life, which is, you know, they just have the short term goals and what they have to deliver and these years and this quarter and things like that versus preparing for the future. And when I say about preparing the future, I'm not talking about the company, but, you know, about people, you know, people that are working for you. Um, there's this just change in mindset that needs to happen regarding you know, everything we're hearing. Oh, ESG and making a positive impact. But that's, that's, it really requires a really long-term view that people usually think, not only companies, but governments, right? It's just about what I'm doing today and the results that I'm giving today versus this long-term result that is probably going to happen after I'm not here anymore. How can we expect those changes to happen now or do you think that it's we need a generational change and maybe the next generation is going to be be, they're going to be born with this ship that we currently don't have and they're going to have this sense of collectiveness and you know and, and 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 living in a better world and being more inclusive What's your thought about that? Like can we see these changes happening now? Is this something that is coming to the next generations? And if you have a, a message to the current leaders of today, which which would this message be?
1: Every generation we are thinking we need to have a generation change for the change to happen. <laughs> uh, you know, look at the war with Ukraine. If you go back to the times of the communistic um, regimes, we need a generation change. I mean,
0: we're just outsourcing the change, right? Just putting yeah. the responsibility over the, the, their hands, right? Uh,
1: <laughs> it's not about generation change. I don't believe in that. Okay. I think it's 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 about um, assertiveness. It's about um, a desire that existed within only a few people in history. And it's very unfortunate that it's only few people that had this desire to leave um, a mark that is so big that is going to echo eternity. And people are very in, you know, we can talk about Julius Caesar, right? Uh, we can talk about Hitler. We can talk about Mussolini. We can talk about Martin Luther King. We can talk about Gandhi, we can talk about Churchill or Margaret Thatcher, we can talk about Gorbachev their leadership their decisions their few decision points during that will echo eternity we will ever talk about these leaders and regardless if they were good or bad leaders but they they had this burning desire for their name to be remembered <laughs> throughout for, 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 you know, throughout the future, um, I don't see that. I don't see that desire anymore. We don't have leaders anymore. We have uh, pop uh, pop singers, uh, pop culturists um, We don't have assertiveness. I mean, we have a lot of people with very small egos, and small ego is, you know, the most destructive thing that a leader can have. Because the bigger the ego you have, the more understand that you need to surround yourself with smarter people than you are i mean and small ego that doesn't happen it happens it happens only when the ego is 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 massive um we we have you know uh you know, steve jobs died larry allison says fuck it i don't want to do it anymore uh, you know bill gates i don't know where he lost his mind but i mean uh, who who are you supposed to follow sergey sergey brin i mean Zuckerberg, I mean, yes, you will follow Elon Musk, but he doesn't give a crap about Earth right now, you know? <laughs> which is understandable. We don't have this, this assertive leadership around us that can say, hey, I need to surround myself with smarter people. We need at every government in the world to have a ministry for innovation and growth. We need to design innovation on city level and on country level. We need not to be afraid to take bold decisions, even if they are not the popular decisions because they are strategic. I mean, when the Premier of of China, when he was elected, he put his vision of 1,000 years to the future of China. I mean, Sweden has a barely like three months vision. I mean, we need these leaders that says, I'm not going to realize this vision. And it's absolutely okay because my job is not to realize the vision. My job is to make sure that future generation has this vision framework to fill it with their own content. We don't have these leaders. And, you know, which bring to the message of, of to leaders, yeah, maybe take the head out of your ass and realize that you are not smart as you think you are and you always need to surround yourself with much smarter people than you. And you should not be, you know, don't be afraid to say, no, it's not right. Even so, like people are demonstrating outside because it might not be right. It might not be the right vision for your, especially with the green movement right now. You think the green movement, um, the approach that politicians are taking in the green movement in Europe is what is right for Brazil? Absolutely not. Brazil needs to find its own path within the green movement, not to jump into what other places are doing. And you need to have leaders that are afraid of acting, not afraid of acting like uh, rock stars and stop acting like pop stars. (laughs) So, yeah. Admit that you don't know anything and surround yourself with, you know, with, with people that are smarter. I mean, I would like to see a leader that says like this. For me, there is no reason. I, you need to have political government, political body should have the minimum amount of ministers. Prime Minister or President elected, that's fine. But the Ministry of Energy should be a nuclear scientist, not a political appointee. Yeah. The yeah. Ministry of Housing should be an architect. The Ministry of Health should not be a Minister a lot, it should be. A committee filled out of doctors and nurses, not just doctors, but nurses and paramedics. I mean, okay, the the foreign minister should be a diplomat, but it should be a diplomat, not mm-hmm. not, not not an idiot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, political political positions should be less political and more professionals, in order to. I mean, that's how you build a good governance. You need to separate the administrative layer and the political layer. And the administrative layer, even if it's in a point, appointed by the political layer, they should be professionals, not political, you know, puppets. When you have leaders that are w- wanted to do that, you will see it change.
0: Alec, great, great provocations. Please keep being a troublemaker. We need to hear the things. <laughs> it was such a pleasure to have you here on the show. And welcome to the Future Hacker Network. I hope you find many, many people like you to keep balancing and, you know, shaking the leaders out there, you know, into hopefully a more inclusive society in the future. Thank you so much for being here with us today. It was a My pleasure. My pleasure,
1: Maria. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future.